Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's conversation, we have Rachel Folden. This is Rachel's second appearance on the podcast. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go back and do that. That is the very first episode. If you don't know Rachel, Rachel is the owner of Folden Fast Pitch and a hitting coach in the Chicago Cubs organization. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to reach out to Rachel on Twitter at Folden Fast Pitch. I will include that in the show notes below. Also, if you enjoy this episode and all the episodes of the podcast, you can get video access to all of the episodes as well as instant access to all of the episodes before they drop on Apple and Spotify with our brand new podcast premium. You get 40% off with code podcast for a limited time only. So go follow the link in the show description below um, and you can get that discount. I'm also giving away with that subscription two memberships to our flagship starter courses, Foundation of Throwing and First Principles of Hitting. Uh, That's over $350 worth of savings on the best content that we offer. So if you want to go do that, you want to support the show, uh, be sure to follow the link in the description below. What up? What's going on, Chad? It's cold as crap. I usually do these talks out on the floor. I'm not going out there. It's cold sitting in here in this office where the heat is on. I like it. You I keep the floor cold. Oh, I hate it. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. It's so bad. I told, uh, I'm moving into a new building and it's like a inflatable dome. That's those are usually pretty cold on the inside. And I was oh, like, dude, gosh. I said, I'm not going to be freezing my butt off all winter. Awful. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, the worst. I said this on a drink review. I could say, hey, I got my coffee, too. I told you we would have coffee. That's right. That's why I brought coffee. This is decaf because I've had about three cups this morning. I'm like, I'm going to have to drink some decaf. I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> so your, your caffeine addiction is, is alive and well. It's high. It's high. It's high. Hang on. Let me uh, turn the light on real quick. I said Keep talking. this on the energy drink review one day. I said, I hate to let the secret out. But the summer times here in the mountains of Virginia are awesome. Like 80 degrees every day, low humidity, fall is amazing. Springtime's usually good. It rains a lot, but winters are the worst. Brutal. As soon as winter hits, I'm out. Like, I want to be in Florida. <laughs> or winters Arizona. are – I know. I'm doing the whole weather gauntlet this year. I'm doing uh... – Summer. I did summer in Arizona, and now I'm doing uh, winter in Indiana. So, good night. I know. I'm doing good it the night. doing it backwards. I'm not proud of it, but it's. I've fine. talked it, about this on the podcast before, and I actually googled this before we got on because I'm gonna ask Rachel. I know she agrees with me. Is daylight savings time something we really need? No. It's stupid. It's so it's dumb. Stupid. It's, it's very much dumb. <laughs> did you know, I didn't know this. Like, I, I've never really dug on this. But did you know the reason why they started Daylight Savings Time is so they could, like, align the daylight with people's waking hours so that they could serve, like, candles and fuel to light their houses and stuff. It's like, really? guys, this is 2021. And we don't have that problem anymore. I, I wonder. Love, I heard it was for farmers, so that they could have a longer too. work and a I longer work that, day. But I, but I googled it. Like, what are the origins of daylight savings time? And I clicked on like three websites, which Wikipedia was one of them. So it's questionable. But 
I clicked on two other ones that kind of told the same story. Like Ben Franklin in 1794 was telling people <laughs> that that we needed to align daylight with waking hours so he didn't have to burn his fuel in his house. I'm like, guys, you know, I'm as pro. I, my electric bill is my least favorite bill to pay on earth. I would put solar panels on my house just so I didn't have to pay my electric bill. Like, I know it's probably good for the earth and it's probably something we should do better at, but like, I hate riding my electric bill. I hate that. But we have it. It plugs into my house and I can turn my lights on whenever I want. I don't need daylight savings time. Right. You got to move to Arizona. You can have solar. That's right. Arizona just punted it. Arizona just punted daylight savings time. They're like, we're not doing it. Yeah, they did. There's yeah. an, is Indiana daylight savings time? Or yeah, yeah, they have it. There's another. I want to say Arizona. Time. I thought Arizona was the only one, but if it's not, then it's someone in line with Arizona. I think we need to punt it. We need to punt it collectively. hundred percent. I may run I for it. office just to, just on the platform of punting daylight savings time. In this Where day and age, you'd probably win. I'd probably win for <laughs> sure. I win. I probably uh-huh. should. I, I think no that's one thing that here. you might you might unify the country just on that one thing alone. I think we could. I think uh-huh. we could. I think we can get everybody on the same page with daylight savings time. For sure. They uh it was funny because the last time we talked on this, somebody had DM'd me after I started releasing these out. Somebody had DM'd me and said, you know, you interrupt people a lot. I was trying to listen to the Rachel Folden interview and you interrupted her on some points she was making. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I know I do that. I try to do better. But what was the point? Because I'm going to talk to her again. And if you want her to make the point, then I'll, I'll be sure to follow up the question. He never, he never messes me back. So we can go in any direction. What I was curious about mostly was your first season of pro ball. Yeah. How did that go? How was that? Uh, it was awesome. Our team raked. So, um, I had some really, really talented players. Um, we've got some, some real talent at the lower levels in our org. Right. So it's pretty cool. I mean, I got, it was a, a very, very interesting first year in many ways. Obviously like I've been doing my own thing forever, right. Just kind of running my own business and doing whatever I wanted. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, getting into pro ball and learning that there's chain of command and corporate structure is different, but, you know, it's kind of nice. And I, I really did enjoy it. And then just working with the players was awesome. Um, I was supposed to, there were supposed to be two hitting coaches on our staff. And a couple of weeks before spring training started, I got word that ours, we were, I was supposed to be like an assistant hitting coach at the rookie level. And yep. then we were supposed to have a head hitting coach. And he ended up having some some family issues. And so he, he ended up not coming. And so I was, you know, I mean, I hope everything's okay. Uh, but it was just, just me. And so what we did was we always had a coordinator in town. There was always a coordinator in town to help. And so it was cool because I got to pick the brains of leadership a lot and without having to like call them and do it behind a phone, they were like right here in the cage with me, which is nice. And, um, you know, we just, we had a really good system. We were real organized and the guys just responded really well to it. So being a, being a female, what was surprising about your interaction with the guys? Uh, I mean, I've mean, got to believe that was something you were nervous about. I know. So I'm, I wasn't nervous 
being a female with the players, because I've worked with players my whole life right. and that's never been a problem. It was right. more so how would leadership work with a female on right. staff? And, um, you know, there were a little bit of like challenges. I wouldn't say any of them were intentional. Um, just things like our locker room is in a, it was in a bathroom upstairs. Like it's a far walk to go to the bathroom every day, you know, yep. so, or, or to, to shower, to get my laundry on the loop and in, in to be washed on time. And then, uh, but like, you know, during the, the rookie ball season, once the major league team moved out, we, we moved into the major league coaches room. So we had a big locker room, which was nice. Um, staff was super, like, we're pretty progressive organization. Um, I think that's been pretty clear, you know, (laughs) with like when Theo was here and Jed's continued that and like, so, so that's been very respectful very, you know, fine. But the players, I mean, coaching players was fine. I think the only time where I really felt like I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm reminded that I'm the only woman in the room was I got a rocket shot off the top of the cage, came down and hit me in the eye. And every, I mean, six cages down, everyone stopped what they were doing and was like, are you okay? Which in most cases, it would have just been like two people asking you, you're okay. Like, get up, get them out of here. But everyone- Yes. Everyone stopped dead in their tracks, what they yeah. were doing. I had like three trainers on me in 30 seconds. And I'm like, guys, it's fine. I had a nice black eye for a couple of weeks. Sure. It was fun. I got um, hammered about three days ago off the side <laughs> wall, right? The cheek. Ouch. No, I'm like, I've been trying to make the point to my kids. My kids are really bad for like, if they get hit or elbowed or something in a game, ball hits them, their immediate reaction is to cry. I'm like, look, you got to stop doing it. Like, you can't, like, I get it hurts. No question it hurts. But, like, you can't cry. The first reaction can't be to cry. And so they were here when I got hit. Like, I got hammered right in the jaw. It kind of rung my bell a little bit. They're like, you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. But you notice my first reaction was not to cry. Like, I didn't cry immediately. Like, you may tear up a little bit if it hurts really bad. But, like, you got to shake it off. Right. My 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 reasoning for the question about being a female and your interaction with the players is the point was that I believe that all players generally care about is like they want to get better, like they want to yep. make it to the big leagues, and they want to yep. believe, uh, you know, that whoever you know in your position, I, I haven't really talked about what I'm doing on Mondays. I'm not going to make that point, but in the softball world, you know, you get to work with men and women. Now, are they the best for the job? It's iffy. But, like, in the baseball world, when I was coming up, that wasn't – like, we were eliminating half of the talent pool in women because they don't belong here or whatever reason, you know. And and maybe that was – maybe that was true in years past. I don't know. You know, in years past, uh, a lot of the coaching was done on – you know, I played pro ball and I'm going to give you my perspectives on pro ball. And now it's much more of a, correct me if I'm wrong, task design, interpretation of technology, like analysis of what's happening, giving the players feedback. That job is, that job can be done by anyone that's qualified. And you're certainly yes. qualified, right? Yeah. I think yeah that's I, the coolest thing about you and Bolvec and all, all the females that are getting into pro ball. It's like, who's the best people for the job now? You know, because ultimately, myself included, when I was in that world, I just wanted to be a big leaguer. Like, I didn't care where the information came from. Just give me the information, like, I need. You know, if you can yeah. interpret it well and communicate well, you can coach in pro ball. 
like for any female that listens to this. Yeah. And I think too, like it, you have to be able to connect with players and so they have to trust you. Right. And they have to feel like you're there, like you're on their side. And so to me, that's always been my favorite part of the job has been connecting with players. Right. That's why I've done one-on-one lessons for so long is because I enjoy that interaction and that connection. And so I, I, taking that in it's like now and, and the the biggest challenge of my job was there was a language barrier and like i speak oh, decent yeah. spanish my mom is my mom speaks spanish um yep. but we had i mean we i joked we had team dominican north like that was what we had yep. right and and i think of the 23 position players that we had full time on the roster i think 19 of them were spanish speakers yep. and we had we had maybe two of them that could translate between spanish and english and so my Spanish got really good, but it's like, it kind of, I was, that was a blessing because it, it really leveled the playing field because they would watch me kind of fumble with my Spanish or miss say a sentence. And it's like, Hey, like she's in here working, just like we're in here working, right. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to, you know, fail. And she's doing the same thing. And so I think that that really helped. And like, I tried really hard to speak as much Spanish as I could. For that sure, exact yeah. reason. And, and my mom always told me, my mom's an immigrant. She came from Ecuador. And like, she always told me when she came over here, she's like, my, you know, my English wasn't good. She came over here when she was nine. She's like, I always appreciated when people would try to say something in Spanish. Even if your Spanish sucks, just try. Like, give me an effort. And that way it knows, yeah. I know that, because I'm going to give you, I have to give you my best effort. I'm expected to speak English every day. So yeah give me a little bit back. And, and that really helped me bond with teachers and with, you know, with people around me. So I always remember that. And so I just tried my butt off, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, the, the Einstein quote, like if you don't, if you don't like, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't know it well yeah. enough. Right? right. If you can't explain it simply and in another language, then you really don't know it well enough. Yeah. Right. For sure. <laughs> it's For sure. it's true. You're having to interpret information. You're interpreting it in in different languages, yeah. one of which, you know, you're, you're probably more qualified than me to speak Spanish, but my Spanish got while I was in pro ball, I can understand what they were saying. Yeah. Like saying it back, I was never very good at, but like I could, I could understand what they were saying to me. Uh, and yeah. then we could, we could come to an agreement with bro- broken Spanglish that uh, I could communicate back to them. Yeah. What what else? What else about what else about season one? Surprising, not surprising. I mean, I'm just I'm just generally interested in in, in how everything went. I mean, we, um, we didn't talk much, but I don't bother people. Um yeah, I think like the biggest thing that I was happy that I got to see is like, you know, I have I coached in college in 2009 and 2010 at Valpo, and I haven't been out on a field since yep. right and so like occasionally I'll go watch my kids play but like not enough yeah, right you get sure. videos sent to you and yep. that, it doesn't cut it so when you actually like go through the daily like show up to the park get your work done and then watch how it happens in a game and you get that like immediate feedback it's I, you realize I realized how much I was missing by not ever leaving the cage right, and it's sure. it's really interesting how like you know, and I, and I understand there's a difference of like coaching a 12 year old versus coaching a 20 year old. Like I get the difference between that, but you know, you realize that like 
the importance of like variability training and training ugly and yeah. training at game speed because if if it doesn't work in a game, like these guys' careers are over. Yep. You know, like there's no there's no greater like I don't motivator, I guess, than knowing that if their swing doesn't play in a game, we it, it they will we will literally release them. Yep. Right. Or and we'll trade them to or life we'll, that isn't what you what ours is. You know, yes. A lot of times. You, yes. I don't know that you saw, I, I had tweeted out that team C's like fundraiser that Mark Rober and Mr. Beast are doing to like clean up plastic out of the ocean. And I don't know if you watched the video, but you know, they said uh, like all the, pl- most of the plastic in the ocean, I think maybe the number is 90% of the plastic in the ocean comes out of 1% of the rivers in the world. Most of those rivers are in the Dominican Republic, and they went to the Dominican and like walked through some of the villages, like that are not near major stuff. People just throwing trash everywhere. Like, like if they don't hit, like that's what they're going back to. Like, like I don't know yeah. even that bad. Yeah, like, I went so there the in urgency, March. The urgency yeah, well, is high for sure. And I went there in March to to work at the academy, and like you know where the academies are is like it's pretty decent and they're all kind of like in the same general area. Um, but you know, you drive, there's an area that you drive through to get there. It's like a toll road that you see to get there. And you see these like shanty towns that are just like, you know, these houses where it's just like, there's just a big giant gaping hole where a window would go, but there's no window. And you know, like a lot of them have like holes in their roof and you know, it's like, I mean, it's dirt roads, it's bad. And so you really get an appreciation. I think, um, one of my coordinators, he's, uh, does a lot with in the Dominican Republic and him and I were talking when we went down there and I was like, I think every coach should have to come down here at least once 100%. just to kind of understand where these guys come from. And, and it's not just the Dominican Republic. I mean, the political situation in Venezuela is nasty yeah. and gnarly right Awful. now. And yep. so you have, you know, we had guys during COVID that we couldn't even get home. You know, and it's like they had to stay at our our Dominican facility because we couldn't get them into Venezuela. And so, you know, imagine that like, you're not, you know, baseball shut down. Your identity is a baseball player and now you can't even go home, you know, like. So there's there's been some things that, you know, really give you some perspective on how these guys live and why they love baseball so much. And why, that you know, the the phrase, you you know, you swing your way and throw your way off the island is very true. Yes, people people ask me about that, and I said, you know, a greater percentage of Dominican kids make it because the urgency is just different. You know, here in America, if you don't make it as a player, your your life's probably going to be okay. Like you're you're probably you're going to find a job, you're going to find work, you can create anything you want. You know, you can go create a business, or you can go start a thing. You know. We have all the resources to do that. When you don't have that as a security blanket, your urgency all of a sudden ratchets up. It's like, I got to figure out how to hit this ball as far as I can and throw it as far. That's why you see so many like young Dominican videos on Twitter of like them fielding the ball. And there's like so much style involved. They're trying to get off the island. They don't want to be there. I mean, not that they don't want to be there because their families are there, but it's like, I got to find a better life. And it's, yeah, this is the only this is the only way I can do it because there's no economy here, you know. There's not the ability to create something or 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 get a 
just get an average job. There's probably not average jobs there. And yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm i not super – I mean, I only went there for two weeks, but it was like – it was just an eye-opening experience, and it really makes you like – I don't know, like understand and appreciate it a lot more because you're right. Like, And I just know this just from how my family got here, you know, and it's it was very like – like you said, like the urgency of it all is, is what, yeah. you know, makes people want to do it. But I also think too, like their best athletes on the Island play baseball. Our best For athletes sure. here don't play baseball. Yeah. No, they don't. No, they don't. they're, they're no. lighting up the, the field on Saturdays and Sundays. That's what our yeah. best athletes here do. And yeah. they, or they Mostly. play in the NBA. Or yeah. They're playing, yeah. Yep. So, you know, I've you know, told we're, fast kids that before, but you know, you're fast, but on a, football field like you're just another fast guy yeah. on a baseball field you stand out like nothing no anyone's ever seen yeah. but again everybody wants and I, and I like football too like I love college football but you're right I mean the best athletes are playing baseball there and they're yep. phenomenal athletes you know they're phenomenal yeah. athletes that grow up with the freedom of expression you know I could be wrong, but I don't guess there's a guy on every corner like doming these kids up with with swing like this or swing like that. Because when they go to the field, it doesn't land across the fence. I'm like, I'm not doing that because I'll never get off this island if I don't hit it, you know, way out there. Right. I would love to dive into how they train more as kids um, because I really haven't. And like I haven't got like a like a clear cut answer on it. It's like, you know, I know that obviously like it works. Right. I mean, but it's, it's a lot easier to make a freakishly athletic kid swing hard than it is to make an average kid swing hard too. So, you know, there's, you know, I'm I'm curious. Right. So I'm, I'm a, I'm curious how they train like their day to day, like once they get into those academies and like, they're there for like, since they're like 11, 12 years old until, you know, they, they hopefully sign a contract with somebody. And um, so it's like, I would, I would really, love to like you know obviously like be able to either like see some videos of how they train or go and experience it you know like go to an academy for a week straight and just see what happens you know like that would be so cool for one i i can probably and you can probably guarantee this there's a bunch of games yeah there's just a bunch of games i mean honestly too i mean that's how that's how you know, I'm not naming any names, but there's some local players here that turn out to be really outstanding players in college with just horrendous practice habits, right? Just so like, how did he get so good if his practice habits are bad? It's like, because he played a billion games. Like, he just had a bunch of game at-bats. Yep. Now, can we can we hack that process a bit by creating – game at bats and practice sure you know can we make practice harder sure because you're going to need a lot of game like at bats to be good yes and my guess is in in the dominican i mean they're playing every day for better for worse for pitchers i bet they're playing every single day maybe multiple times a day i'm curious about that because i've also seen like you know articles and stuff where you know dominican or latin american players come over here and they're like you know, what's the difference between how American kids train and Dominicans train? And they say, well, we play too many games. So we I do. wonder. Yeah. Do. Yeah. So I wonder, like, maybe there is like a, 
a, a little a balance that they have that actually works you know yeah. and or maybe that they're we just, just not playing games they're just putting a pitcher out there on the mound yes you know, like a sim game style you know maybe they don't yeah that like I, that's why i i just want to go see it because i really just <laughs> sure. don't know like i'm genuinely curious for sure so but that that's so funny that's, good it's so funny though to see and i played in you know, I played it. You get these young Dominican kids in rookie ball who just, they've got these wild swings. Like, it is awesome. Yeah. They have got some wild, like, they'll fall down. Like, it is so, <laughs> you get them like 17 years old and they are just hacking at it. And yep. You know, that, like, that's, there's no way they just, they've just started this. Like, they've swung this way. For as long as they could swing, we have a we have a kid on our roster, and you can look up. I'm sure you can find this picture on Google. His name's Kevin Alcantara, and he we traded uh, Anthony Rizzo for him, yep. and so we got him from the Yankees. And he has a baseball card, and he, so he's, the kid is six foot six, okay, yep. tall, lanky, six foot six, and there's a baseball card. So he, this is a game swing where his like his leg kick, like his knee was like at his chest and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> like so Google good. it. You can Google it on your phone yeah. right now and you can find it. And I mean, his leg, his knee is up at his chest and this is a game swing and he probably did just fine. Like, yeah. it's, you know, obviously like it's been toned down and, you know, before long sure. before he got to us too, but it's just like, it's so crazy how like that, that was like his thing. Like that's, yep. that worked for him. Yeah. You know, and, and I just, uh, he, and he told me, he speaks pretty good English and he came in and he's like, no, look, he's like, look at my card. And he like showed me and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, is that in a game? He's like, yep. Yeah. Just some, and you're just like, how do you hit like that? You know, but. Hey. Yeah, for sure. No, that goes to my point. You made it just then. It's like, it can always be toned down, but he would never know if that was optimal for him if he'd never done that early. Correct. Right. Correct. And so, so I watched my kids swing, my, my daughter swing, my daughter's leg kick, like big move, barrel tip. I've never told her how to do it. It's just a lot of times young people just organize that way. And Dominican kids organize that way. When you tell them, like, hit the ball as far as you can, like, hit it, yep. swing as fast as you can. Like, that's what they come into. Now, at a later date, will she need to tone that in? Like maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see if she finds the barrel a lot. You know, if not, then we'll need to make an adjustment. If so, we'll leave her alone. I don't know. You never know yep. these things. You know, but here in America, you I don't know that you see this. You you would see this in Dominican is we coach the athleticism out of them early. It's yes. like this yes. is not it. Because right, we we over mechanize them for sure. Right. The, the result of the game, you know, I spent my first year this year out on the travel softball circuit with my daughter. And a lot of the things that people say are right. Like you can hit the ball on the ground and they will make more errors and you will get on first more. And it may mean, may lead to more wins, but it's like someday, some area in time, if you play long enough, you're going to have to redo this because that that's not going to work. Yep. And we just kind of get it backwards here. We try to coach them into the result of like now. Yes. But it doesn't even matter. Like no, at no point in the, in the, in her year or my son's year did I think, man, this really, really matters. Like this is a really big at bat. It's like, nah, she's probably going to strike out or something, but she'll get back out there and try again. 
Yeah, that's one thing that I wish that like more people could see. I've always been pretty damn patient with how I approach training, you know, like knowing that it's not going to happen overnight or be solved in 30 minutes in a lesson. And, yeah. You know, I've been pretty damn patient about it, but I wish people could come and see how patient professional organizations are at developing their players. It's really, really cool to watch. And, you know, like we'll have, we'll have guys that we've paid millions of dollars to, and, you know, we'll look at their swings and we'll be like, okay, like, do you think he needs to change this, this, and this about his swing? And I've heard just people, you know, our, our front office guys um, say like, no, no, no. Like, let's let him go through like a strength cycle before we start changing anything about him. Just let him play. And you're just like, For sure. we spent $5 million on this kid. Like, we're yep. just going to like, but that's what we do because we're, we're not trying to coach the athleticism out of them. We're going to let the game tell them if they need to change. And we're going to let the game tell them like, okay, like, but we're not going to do it over two or three games or a weekend. We're going to do it over the course of an entire season, right. you know? And so like, that's, I think that is just so incredibly cool at how patient we are at letting guys develop and understanding all of the things that go into development, you know, like these guys do need more at bats. So we're going to give it to them. Yep. They need to get stronger. So we're going to give them that they need to, and a lot of times they need to gain weight. So we're going to feed them. We're going to do they're, they're We're going to talk to them about how to sleep. Well, we're going to talk to them about how to recover. We're going to do all this stuff to help them be a better athlete. And it's like, this is all stuff that we could do here, but we're not patient enough to do it. And that's the part where, you know, like we have to in, in the, the private sector, like we have to be able to tell parents this and we have to be able to get them to believe it, you know, because it's hard. It's hard when you, when you go play your travel ball game and you go over three in one game and you were hitting fourth and now the next game you're hitting eighth because you went over three one time, you know, and it's like, so then you, you play that mental game of like, I, if, if X, then Y, if I suck, I get moved down. Yep. So then you're just playing your game to not suck. You know, it's not like anyone's rewarding you by keeping you at the four spot. You're just staying there where you were. So it's like, it's, it's very much like we become afraid to fail and we're kind of building that environment. So I think us in the private sector have to be better about preaching patience to our parents. Like, like your kid is 12. Like, of course, she's not going to be the best athlete she can possibly be at 12. Well, why not? Because she's 12. Like yep. she's not, you know, she hasn't hit physical maturity yet. She's still growing. She's still getting stronger. Like, of course there's going to be things that are missing. You know, I had, I had a student of mine and she's eight and I don't like to coach kids under the age of 10. No. Like I just don't. Um, but she's a family friend. So, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I work with the kid. And so you know, she's, she tells me that she goes to this, like, you know, to a pitching coach and they told her that the kid needs to be stronger in her core. Like she needs to do core exercises. Now the kid yeah. does gym, the kid does gymnastics. Yep. Okay. Which is the greatest core stability program on the planet. Right. <laughs> For and sure. she's like, so she's reaching out to me and saying like, well, do you know any core exercises that she could be doing? And I'm like, she's eight. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll tell you this because I care about you because we're friends. Like she's eight. The reason that she ha- doesn't have core stability is because she's eight. It's not yeah. because she needs to be doing core exercises. She already does those. She's in gymnastics and she's like, okay, thank you. And so like the fact that like we have to reality check parents of eight year olds and nine year olds is like, that's, 
kind of just proving what I just said is like, we just don't have patience because everyone yep. feels like if they're not here, then they're missing out on something. And it's like, kid, I wish people could watch, just watch how kids grow. Like you, everyone has that. How old are your kids, Chad? My daughter just turned 10. My son is seven. He'll be eight at the end of January. Okay. So your 10 year old is a great example because like kids have like, there's a, a first growth spurt that happens right about then. Yeah. And so you, you're going to have like, you're gonna have kids that are like five foot eight and they're 10 years old in her class. Yep. And then you have kids that are like four foot four because they haven't grown yet. You know, yep. like little Rachel, little Rachel's, and then they stand next to each other in the class picture and you're like, holy cow, but we're going to expect the same from both of them. Like that doesn't right. make any sense to me, you know? And so it's like, just, just be patient. Like, just be patient with, if there's one thing I could tell parents is like, t- like chill, just chill and yep. be patient and stick to, to a process, right? Get yourself involved with a good process and you'll know what that is when you find it. Stick with a good process and then just, just like let them develop. Like, I wish we were yep. just more patient because baseball think- is patient as heck. You for sure. Like, I think being out there, it's really, I, I totally get to, to your point, like parents without context of improvement, it's easy to panic because you're right. You look at this kid, you look at some of these girls out here, it's like, holy crap. They're big. My daughter weighs 68 pounds. She played, she plays 10U because there's no 9U in softball. So she has to play 10U. Her birthday's late in the year. She's like 50 days from being coach pitch. And it's like, holy crap. You know, there's girls 130 pounds out here that throw the ball 10 miles an hour harder than she does. Yep. But I told her, it's like, I would put, like, I know how much better you've gotten in the last 12 months because we've measured and tracked everything. We have all, not, not purposefully, we turn the hit tracks on for that. We can see yeah. the journey over time and we turn up the distance boost. We do those things because it's fun, but it's like, I'm not panicked because I know during this calendar year, what, how much you've gotten better. I'm not going to base your value on what happens out here because to your point, like players are, Players are here, there, and everywhere on the maturity scale, especially in softball, because there's two-year gaps in, in 10U, 12U. And it's like we can't measure anything out here because no one is on the same playing field physically. You yep. know, they're all in different spots. And to, because the girl is physically more mature than you now doesn't mean it's going to be that way in five years. Right. You just have to continue to, to put in the work. And I, and I've harped on this forever, like a principles based process. You say the process, it's like a a process based in principles of the things that matter. We're going to try to swing the bat fast. We're going to try to throw the ball hard. Yes. We're going to try to swing accurately. Yes. We're going to try to swing on time. Yes. We're going to try to throw the ball accurately. All of those things. It's like, we're going to have a way to like measure this to make sure that for your physical maturity and journey, this is getting better. Yep. And then we're not going to panic. We're not going to panic when you go, she was rolling. She went from like hitting eighth or ninth in her lineup to hitting leadoff. And then she goes like nine at-bats one weekend and strikes out five times. And I said, look, it, 
it's hard, number one. Number two, it doesn't take away from anything that's happened this year. You went from eight to one because you 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 hit well. You know, you started to figure this thing out. And then she had a little period of uncertainty in herself. Yep. It's like that happens. That happens. We just have to. It was very weird, though. It was very weird what, what happened to her. Like, her work in the cage was very good. Um, but then in the game, just the game anxiety, the game that match. You know, you talked about the organization saying these guys need to play games. There's really no substitute for game at bats with like stakes on the line. Yes. Right. And Runners that's, that base. is, yeah, I've, I've gotten such a great appreciation for that is like, there are so many ways to impact the game, especially as a hitter, right? I'm a hitting coach. So I'll talk about hitting. There's so many ways to impact the game that have nothing to do with hitting a home run or just barreling up a ball perfectly. Right. You know, you can, when it's an O2 count and you've got somebody electric on the mound, like you can settle for contact. Like you can, yeah. and that's okay. And you, you know, you give yourself a chance to get on base when a guy is just like, he's overmatching you in that at bat. Um, and there's ways to move runners and there's ways to like, you know, extend at bats and, and get the pitch count up. Right. Like there's so many ways to impact a game that don't necessarily show up in your batting average statistic. And like being there on the field every day has like, helped me understand that and that's probably like I don't know I can't speak for you but I would imagine like you go to your kids games and it's like a different experience than being in the cage right it's totally like because in the cage it's like yeah I mean the training environment is we can make it chaotic and whatever but just knowing you and knowing who like you know the way that we coach is like yeah you're gonna have failure in here but there's no there's no penalty there's no pressure it's just go attack it and try to beat it and if you don't like I'm still going to love you and we'll get it again tomorrow. Yep. Whereas in a game, it's like, well, I just competed my ass off and I'm out. And now I got to wait 45 minutes for my next at bat if I get yep. it. And then I'm never going to play this team again, probably. Right. So there's like different stakes that go on it. And now I've got teammates that are depending on me and, or I'm comparing myself to teammates and she's yep. gotten a hit. And now I'm not. So it's like, yep. there's, there's all that anxiety. And I wish that like the, the coaches in the cage could understand that and then we can try to that's why it's so important that we train train in like a a a game-like environment with a lot of variability training because it's like then we can be there and talk them through it so then that we can prepare them for when they see it in a game versus like you know just making everybody feel good and like you know there there's not a whole lot of value to just front toss flips or feel good overhand bp like there's just not a lot of value to that aside from like yeah, there are some guys that like want to feel good before they play yep. and, and, you know, feel like they're on top of the world and I can do anything. And there's very, there's value to that. And you need to have right. that mix, but you still have to like, I mean, you have to challenge them on the daily, yep. you know, if it's going to be feel good BP, we're going to have a goal, you know, where it's like, sure. okay, I'll give you arm BP, but like, we're going to go, these next five have to be in right center field and these next five have to be in yep. left center field and start playing a little target practice with it and just making it more, you know, variable, but it's true. It's like, like you said, with your, with your daughter, it's like the, the patience of development, like we're going to throw a bunch of variables at them and then we're going to let, so it's basically like we're putting on these, these boundaries, right. These like boundaries. And then we're just going to like throw a bunch of crap at you in the middle of these, of these boundaries. And you, you can go wherever you want to navigate through it. 
but eventually you're going to get to the other side. Right. And if we just kind of like, we can't, it can't be all chaos, right. It can't just be no. like, all. You, you have to have some like right. focused work and you have to be stuff. You have to throw some stuff out there that they can be successful at. For sure. That, right? That's what I was going to make is like the art of coaching is like scaling up and scaling down tax, the, the complexity of the task, you know, for some hitters that are, not pro professional hitters, but like for some hitters that are going to get in the cage, like front toss is probably, I mean, it's maybe reasonably challenged to square the thing up a lot. There's yep. no point in like turning the machine on. Right. You know, at some point you will have to, but like getting them scaled up to, okay, like we're building up here. Let's, let's move back. But I say it's never so, it's never so bad. No hitter on earth is bad enough to where you have to scale it down all the way to where the ball is sitting still. Like, yeah. and now you're not representing hitting. Like I get the T is people do it and that's fine. But like, if we're going to practice the skill of hitting, the ball has got to be moving in some way, whether it's moving yes. slow, whether it's moving a farther distance, whether it's moving fast, whether it's moving randomly, fast, slow, whether it's moving at different distances, different times, but it has to be moving. Like right. that's the game. Like that's the skill of the game is to match your bat speed with time and space to get an outcome that's productive. You know, but if yep. you don't get it, then move on and try again. Yeah, I'm. Right. A, I'm. And parents add to it a lot. You know, we had every day in our building where parents are just. We had a kid this year who just he goes to a skid where he strikes out a lot, and the dad who just I'm like, and it just came to a point, and I told him I'm like, look, man. You have to stop talking about this because at some point, if you don't stop talking about it, he's never going to get over it. You just continue week after week after week after week to talk about this. And it's like, he's now going into the at-bat thinking, I've got to solve this problem, which is really, really hard. And I have to please my dad. It's like, can't you can't play that way. He's going to hate it. You know, I got to try to light the mood and make fun of him. Like, hey, man, I heard you're going to be a PO. And he starts laughing. Well, that's how you turn into a PO is like you can't, yep. you know, you can't navigate the emotions of an at-bat. So you just go right. pitch because it's more rewarding more often. Yes. Right. And so amongst many reasons that I eat for young people, it gives them the wrong context of what hitting is. You know, yep. it gives them the wrong, it gives them the context of if I just find a swing, then I'm going to be able to hit like this every time. So that's not true. That, that's not hitting. true. That's not hitting. And that's where, like, I think, you know, and, and truthfully, I mean, I know you've watched it happen. I've watched it happen. Is like, so we, we, you know, in the, when I first started like talking to you, right. Which was years ago, no. uh, it's like, you know, the, the private sector had really like started to explode of like, we know how to teach guys how to hit for power, right. Putting hit tracks yeah. in oh, cages yeah. just like transformed the way cages ran. Right. Yeah. And so it was like, all right, well, we know how to get guys to hit the ball harder. And it's like, okay, cool. And then it was like, well, it's at the expense of swinging and missing. And we were like, well, the major leagues doesn't care about swinging and missing. So we don't care about swinging and missing. And that right. was true. That was yeah. true. And so then you saw that tipping point happen, right. With the, you know, the three true outcomes of like strikeout, yeah. walk, home run. Right. Yeah. And then it started to come back down and trend the other way to like, we now value contact guys. Right. And so now it's almost like for the, for the first time in a while, like pro baseball 
is kind of like leading the charge instead of like plucking from the facilities and colleges that have just been like swing hard, hit the ball hard. Yep. And now it's like, no, like we value these high contact guys. And that's going to force a change to us where we have to like, okay, yep. we've, we've got to teach people how to be more accurate with their barrels. Right. Yep. We, we taught their barrels to move really fast, but we, yep. it wasn't very accurate. And I, I myself was like hundred percent guilty of that. And so now it's like, okay, can we, like, I think everyone assumes that it's just going to go in the other direction of where it was in like the eighties, where it was like, right. everyone hit 300, but like very few guys hit over 20 home runs. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that's not, you can have both. You can have power and you can have sure. barrel accuracy. Yep. You just have to structure a training environment that rewards both. Yep. And, and that's tough for a lot of people because they don't know how to do that. Right. Because it's like, right. okay, swing hard, swing hard, but I want you to make contact. So then they take their swing down to 80%, which is probably once you're about like 18, you probably swing hard enough where you can swing at 80%. You can yeah. still hit the ball pretty damn hard. And so like, I, I think like we, we've got to do a better job as an industry and, and I'm talking more so in the private sector, like of like understanding that power doesn't have to come at the expense of contact. Right. And an increase in contact doesn't have to come with diminishing returns in power either. We can have both. Yep. And you just have to structure a training environment that rewards both and that fosters both. Yeah. And, and it so looks like the problems that you face in the game. You know, exactly. That's the thing. You look at the Giants and I don't have to talk to that. I want to talk to Donnie Ecker. I'm trying to talk to Donnie Ecker. I can probably talk to Kyle Wisdom, but I don't need to ask what you're doing. Like they they improve their contact rates because their in-game problem-solving skills got better. Yes. It wasn't because they they you know they scaled the skill down all the way to the T and just like we're going to practice making contact. It's like no, their practice design got better. You know, they yes. practiced it for years. I think in Major League Baseball we struggled with contact because our practice just wasn't matching what pitchers were trying to do to us right it's like now we're, we're getting closer and guys are getting better at, at finding the barrel with it because it clo it's more closely practiced now like yes. we can't we can't accept the practice habits of the 80s because the pitching problems that were of the 80s aren't what they are in 2021 it's true you know? and it's like Very true and we had to come to that realization of Power doesn't have to come at the expense of swing and missing. It can be both. Like you can improve your contact rate, you can improve your con your hard hit percentage while improving your power numbers, like improving your hard hit balls, you know, peak exit velocity. Yes. Raising your bat speed ceiling so that your 80% swing is better, is faster. Yes, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Hey, give me one second. I'm gonna use the restroom real fast. You're A lot good. of coffee. A lot of coffee. You're good. Yep. <laughs> Oh, we got me a water. I got the I got the seasonal. I got the seasonal croup where the seasons change, and I just it hits me. Yeah, I got you. Have you <clears throat> have you managed to um, avoid COVID, or did you catch it? So I think that I had COVID in January of 2020. I got I like I, I never get sick. Like I'm not sick now. I just got this crap going on. Like I was sick, sick for like six weeks. I think looking back on it now that we have the information that we have, 
I think I had myocarditis. Like my heart rate was elevated for like a month. Like wow. it was so bad. It was so bad. Like, I don't know if I lost my taste of smell because we didn't know anything pre-March, you know, March COVID kind of started blowing up and going everywhere. But like there were people that reported it having earlier. I've uh-huh. never had an antibodies test, but like, I think I had it in January of 2020 and oh, it was so bad. Like I told my wife a few times, had, this, had I not woken up at three in the morning, I would have gone to the hospital. That's how bad I felt. And wow. I would have gone to the hospital and they'd be like, we don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah, that's true. At that point, you're, you're right. Like your heart rate is off roof. Like my, my resting heart rate was above a hundred most cool. for a month. And it's like, what is wrong with me? Like yeah. I cannot, it was weird. It was so weird. Um, after that, um, my wife and kids, they haven't, we haven't, now they may have had it from there and been asymptomatic and gotten over it and had natural immunity, you know, and didn't get it until, you know, the vaccine was offered and then whatever, you know, now, yeah. now we're, 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 you know, we're in the middle of like vaccinating your five to 11 year olds. And it's like, yeah. Oh man, this is so hard. This is such a hard, like this is the hardest parenting decision ever because my kids are, they're healthy, but it's like, you want to do the right thing, but the study's too small and like, ah, oh, it's so hard. It's such a, it's such a hard decision right now with my two small children. Yeah, it's I like, get it. Me is fine. My wife's fine. We were a little nervous about my wife because my wife had a stroke in 2010 and she had, she has like a blood clotting issue. So we went back and forth with her about it. But, you know, other than that, it's not been too bad. My mom's brother was the only person that I knew that had it that about, about bit the dust from it. Wow. Yeah, he was bad off. He was overweight, like smoked previously and like made it out somehow. Oof. Like they were going to put him on a ventilator one night and I'm like, he's not going to make it. And then, yeah. and then he made it through the night and just progressively got better somehow. So like, I don't know. Oof. He's not the bill of health, but. Yeah, I got it about a month ago, a little over a month ago. Yeah, we're probably going on like almost two months now, maybe. Yeah. And uh, I got it at the beginning of Instructs and I'm fully vaxxed. We have to be fully vaxxed yep. to work. And like, for sure. it was poof, it, for three days, I couldn't keep my eyes open. And it was just like, I just slept. I slept that's for like 18 hours a day. Yeah. And then yeah, I lost I my taste and smell. Weirdest thing ever. Lost my taste for and sure. smell. Um, And I mean, it was like zero. Like I would be eating like. I could have like chewed on a jalapeno or like a habanero pepper. I would have felt the heat because that's yeah. chemical, right? But I wouldn't have been able to taste anything. Like that's it was so just weird. odd. It was the weirdest thing. Couldn't smell anything. Um, and you realize how much you like rely on your sense of smell. Like, yeah. um, you know, like cooking food. Like, is it burnt? I don't know. I can't smell. Or, I have no idea. It's I so funny no to idea. talk to people that have had it too because they say things smell different now. I had it a long time ago. One of my buddies that had it, he said, if I open a bag of coffee, it may as well be cat piss now because it smells so bad. Like it doesn't smell like it smelled before. And he, he named two or three other things that like do not smell like they did before I got COVID, which is the weirdest thing. God, it's so weird. Yeah. I, I don't have any lingering effects from it. Thank God. But um, I mean, I, I'm assuming that's just because I had some, 
you know, I had the, I had the vaccine, so it probably just helped yeah. me get over it quicker, yeah. you know, get through it, quicker. fight it yep. better. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're out, you're outside a lot. So your natural vitamin D was probably high, you know, you're healthy, all those oh, God. things. All Arizona those things summer. Rogan, yeah. Yeah. All those things that Joe Rogan argues about. It's yeah. like, you were probably all those things too, you know, whatever. Probably. Yep. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, it's, well, uh, we, we managed to avoid it. Our, our facility in Arizona avoided it until instructs, which it was weird. Really? Cause like, yeah, it's, it, it kind of speaks to like the efficacy of the vaccine, but also like that it, we need a booster. Cause it, we all like, there were like three or four coaches. We all went down on the same day and we all got vaccinated on the same day. Really? So it really, yeah. So it was really That's like, crazy. Yeah, yeah, we, we all just kind of needed it would a be booster. Different for people, you know, you would yeah. think it would, it would be different for, and it could be a complete coincidence too. And I'm sure it is different for people. You know, it's such a gray thing. You know, it's, I think we're, we, we probably won't look back at COVID like this, but when I think of this time, I just think of people's inability to think abstractly for themselves. You know, it's like, think for yourself, please, for the love of Christ, think for yourself. Like, is the vaccine a good idea for you? I have no idea. You make that choice, you know, or is it not? I don't know. Like, I don't know your situation. I know what mine is. So I can, I can navigate my own situation, but it's like, I can also think very abstractly, you know, that goes into, we can get back into coaching. It's like, it's never black or it's never white in, in like problem solving for hitters. You know, that's, right. no, it's not, it's not. When people, when people ask, when I'm at the softball games or at the baseball games, they say, can I ask you a question? And then they'll proceed into this, this bias they already have about the problem their kid is having. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when, when she does this, uh, and I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this nicely, but it's probably not that easy. Like timing is really hard. Perceptual skills are really hard. You know, like we don't even know how much ball flight hitters see. Like we have no idea how much ball flight hitters see. How can we, how can we make a decision about the mechanics that are going to apply where we don't even really know what information they're getting? Like we don't yep. even know. Like as a whole industry, we don't know. You know, we were talking yesterday about rise balls and I find the rise ball to be like, and we were talking about how do you combat a rise ball, especially when you get to college, because you don't have much information about like perceptual information, neurological information about a rise ball until you get to college. Mm -hmm. You don't see it much, you know, out in the circuit. It's like, how can we expedite the information processing of a rise ball to get hitters to, to, to be able to, to even perceive where it's going to be in space. Right. right? It's like the, it's like the high Garrett Cole fastball when he was using spider attack. Yes. That hitter, that hitter say, well, it's, it's rising. It's like, technically it's not, but in your brain it is because it's higher than where your brain thinks it's going to be. Yes. When he throws it and it comes out of his hand and force is applied down your brain for, we don't even know what happens, but it makes a prediction about where the ball is going to be in a millisecond. And it's not there. And it's not there. Yeah. It's, right. it, I mean, I, as someone who had to hit a rise ball my entire career and playing pro ball, I'm like top of the zone fastballs, like that high spin rate fastball. Like, yep. Yeah. I, I know what that's like. I know what yep. that feels like. Um, for sure. And it, it is, you, you literally have to swing. Like I used to have to tell myself, 
like when Monica Abbott was throwing, I would yeah. have to tell myself like, wherever I see the ball, I'm going to swing six inches higher for sure. Because that's where the ball is going to be. Now, is it rising six inches? No, but, no. but I had to think that. And yeah. then, you know what? I was, I was decently successful off of her as successful as a lefty on lefty hitter could be against Monica Abbott. Yeah. You know, sure. so if you hit um, a buck 80, you did good. If you hit yeah, above right? zero, you probably did yes. good. Exactly. For someone who, I mean, she was averaging like 14, 15 strikeouts a game. Yeah. So, and we only have seven innings. So for sure. that's, yep. that's set, seven, six or seven hitters are finding a barrel and not striking out a game. Yeah. In right? some capacity. Yes. So like, that's where, uh, you know, I, I, that's, that was how it had to be approached. And I think like, you know, exposing hitters to that is important. Um, but I also think like in this kind of, you know, I guess something that I like, I'm trying to, to take more into my, my cage training is like understanding your identity as a hitter. Like what kind of hitter are you, where do you hit the ball? Well, and then building your game plan around that, right? Because like so many players, I would even say a lot of major league players, a lot of them kind of fall under playing a little bit. So that high fastball is yeah. not a pitch that they can hit really well. Especially you know, like in that today's, in today's game. Yes, exactly. It's like that, that ball that yeah, the ball that Cody Bellinger hit in the in the oh. you know the NLCS, right? But that I mean, we watched him all season not be able to do that and he, he yep. got one he got yep. one and it was at a big moment and good for him god bless yep. him but like we watched him not be able to do that on that high fastball and you know it's like trout early in his career right got abused by the high fastball mm-hmm. and just figured it out and so like but that i like i understand like you have to understand who you are as a hitter like if i can't get that pitch then I really have to commit to not swinging at it. And I really right. have to commit to, to laying off of it to right. get a better pitch that I can actually handle, you know, like, like that, that whole Juan Soto top of the zone, like where he yep. took all those high fastballs, like that is a hitter who understands their identity for sure, and, for sure. and understands get... like how to hunt, how to hunt in a zone. And then if it's not in that zone, I'm just, I'm not going to swing at it. I'm going to shut it down. Right. And pitchers miss. You know, this, I think, I think it was Bauer. I think, I know Bauer said it, but it may have been his own stat that the side, he said the Cy Young Award winner may have been him, missed his spot by an average of 12 inches. So it's like, if they're up there and they miss down here, you know, I don't know if you saw the, the Trevor and Warren Bauer like pitch design video where they talked about the dropping slider in the top of the zone and then the riding fastball on the top of the zone. Mm-mm. It's like, man, I'm so glad I don't have to hit today. Like, that would be a nightmare. Like, how the Rays prioritize, like, glass now, how they're going to drop the slider in the top of the zone, the the, the high slider paired with the 100-mile-an-hour fastball off the high slider. It's like, holy crap. I don't I don't know how people do this. I have no idea. Like, and it used so to be insane. something that, like, guys did accidentally. Sure, you know? yeah. And now it's like, no, everybody, like, we know how to do it now. Like, we know how to teach you how to do it now. Like, that's right. so scary. <laughs> right. And here's the point. Here's the point I was going to make. And this is what I made Nick when Nick was interning here. It's like as hitters in practice design, like I'm not, I would never tell Juan Soto what to do, but like if I knew that I don't hit the pitch up, like the right, if Garrett Cole was on the mound tonight or Glasnow was on the mound tonight, 
And I still get into like this overly crouched stance where I don't make like game theory adjustments in my setup to like to like stand up a little taller to be ready to for that high fastball. Then don't be mad when you go over four because you can't get to it. You know, yeah. like like I think as hitters you have to be you have to be open minded to like adjusting your your even your setup to like what yeah. the pitcher's gonna do that day to you, you know, or yep. what pitcher gonna look for. You know, if the guy has a tendency to like Trevor and Trevor and Warren talked about that that two seamer off and that slider back. Like if you know this guy's gonna split the outer part of the strike zone with this pitch combo, and like you don't move up and be ready to hit the fastball off the plate, or you haven't even practiced to like expand your hot zone to have yeah. the potential to hit the ball off. That's why we take no take rounds. You're like, yeah. why do you do no take rounds? So like, well, I mean, I know they don't want to swing at this pitch in a game, but like what we're trying to do is take that. MLB hot zone meter that's like this, and we're trying to make it like this. And the only way to do it is like swing at these pitches in practice that are like out here. You know, you need the feedback. Maybe you don't, but it's like at least your information processing on, and I got the barrel to that like that. I can get the barrel down here. It's, yep. Again, it's not black and white. It's not. Right. It's not. Because for every time you do, and we do that too. Or every time you do a ha- must swing round or no take round, yep. you have to also do like a tunnel round where you're just tunneling one specific hot. So yep. yeah, exactly. Swing and it, it, it's, yep. it's true. Like you have to be able, you need the information, like the, yep. the, the feedback, the feed, you have to have that feedback loop. If you don't have that, you know, it's really yep. easy to be like, don't swing at that pitch. Well, how do you know? Right. Yep. So you could tell, you could tell Cody Bellinger, don't swing at that pitch, but he just hit it 450 feet. Yep. So like, if he doesn't have that feedback loop, he's never going to learn how to, in a super huge moment, put a barrel on that ball right? without having swung and missed at it hundreds of times, hundreds of times, right. hundreds of times. And then it's like, okay, well, I got to do something different. And and I don't know what's going through his head. I'm not pretending no, to know what's going right. through his head. No but one does. I would have, that's the thing. Like, yeah. no, like, he doesn't even know. Like, he may, that's the thing about big leaguers. They may give you an explanation, but it's like, we don't even know. We don't, we don't, unless you can like cut his head open and like look at the brain activity that happens at that moment. It's like, you don't, you don't know how that happened. Right. Right. You know that when I, listen, when I talked to Robert Riggins, like, like you had these moments in your coaching careers, like I have failed players. Yep. It's like when I talked oh, yeah. to Robert, I was like, I have failed players. I have failed players. So, you know, we're doing more one eye strobing work we're doing more eye patch work in our as a flip constraint you know as a as a constraint in flips or however good they get we move it to bp you know or or we move it to two plate machine where they're just training like one eye at a time and just trying to get them better visual information does it work does it not it's like monty monty and i i was talking to monty one time and he's you know i just said i don't know why the best players in the world are the best players in the world at swinging where the ball is like i have no idea like they are, like they have this insane ability to not know where the ball is going to be in any at any moment, and then swing there within yep. like four hundred milliseconds. It's like amazing. That's Caleb Abney and I talk about that. It's like people just underestimate how far they are away from Mike Trout. Like they think yes. they can get there. It's like yeah. you have, like you are close to Mike Trout. Like I am close right now to the next close star in the galaxy besides the sun like that's how close you are to Mike Trout like you're not even close 
right? It's, 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 it's very true. Yep. I, you know, guy- we have, go, like I was going to say, we have a, a guy like um, really, really good, like bat to ball skills and like high power and like will spit on curveballs um, and like just really good takes, really good awareness of where the strike zone is. And the dude's from Canada. And I'm like, okay, so how did you get this good at zone control when you've played less outdoor baseball than everybody yep. else in our organization? And I don't know the answer to that. I nope. don't. But it's, it's pretty incredible that you're just like, gosh, dang it. Like, you know, I'm coaching rookie ball, so we're, we're refining these skills. But, I mean, like, right. you're watching That's a 19-year-old kid. Though. Yeah, you're watching a 19-year-old kid just like, <clears throat> I mean, a tough slider that it's just like last-minute take. And you're just like, damn, that was a really good take. And then yeah. just goes and like, you know, throws him another slider and he just bangs it for a double, you know, off the wall. And you're just like, dang, like that's, it's so impressive. It's such a mature approach. And it's like, you're from Canada. Like, how did you develop this? Like, I really want to, I just want to like sit down and like interview him, <laughs> yeah. you know, and him, him and I have talked about it a little bit, but it's like, and the truth is like, he's like, I don't know, but I bet you, and yeah. I do think there is, I do think there is a very like. I, I, I'm a big believer that like, if you could be on time, you're going to be successful, like regardless, yeah. right. You're going right. to at least give yourself a chance to make an adjustment and foul a ball off or put it in play or whatever. Right. So I do think there's a huge correlation and I have zero data to back it up, but I would love to do a test on it. If we could somehow is how much baseball in their life, a player has watched, like whether it be on TV, in yep. person, whatever versus like how good their bat to ball skills are on the field. And I would bet you there's a correlation. And I think because every time you watch a pitch be delivered on TV, you feel the rhythm of that incoming pitch. Yeah. Right. And it's like, um, you know, like when I was a kid, I used to watch like, you know, we'd turn on the X games when they first started coming out. Right. And my mom would like walk into the room. My mom's not athletic at all, but we'd be like watching, you know, the X games and like people on the half pipe and I'd be watching my mom, like moving yeah. with them. Like, you know, like you feel that rhythm. Yeah. It's, it's like every time you watch an incoming pitch, you're feeling that rhythm of when I would have to initiate my swing. You might not be moving with it. Maybe you are, maybe you're not, but it's like your brain is gathering information of how long it takes from a get to get to the pitcher's hand to the catcher's glove. And so to me, it's like, if you've watched that, over and over and over and over again, your internal clock is going to be pretty good. So I wonder like if there was a way to measure like how many hours of baseball highlights, baseball games that players have watched before they get to like the professional level and how that correlates to how good they are as a professional. Because to me, it's like, it, it just, the players at least that, that I, and I've obviously have a very, very short, career in the very beginning stages of my career in professional baseball but the players that we have that typically seem to make like better decisions at the plate and or they can foul off tough pitches or spit on tough pitches they've they're like baseball nuts like all they do they eat sleep breathe baseball like that's all they do and you know we just don't like I, I don't think we appreciate that enough for how much that goes into their ability to play the game yeah, when I talked to Devin Morgan, um, we talked about kids playing the show. Like, 
kids should play the show a lot because my son did things this year. This was his first year playing. COVID kind of knocked him out last year because they didn't have the rec season. I didn't want to push him into travel ball too fast. So we played travel ball this year only for the certainty that I know we're going to play games. But it's like he would do things in the game that it's like, huh, he's he's had to have seen that on the show. Like, yep. we've never talked about this. This is not something that comes up in practice a lot. Uh, but somehow he navigated his way through that play. And it's like, huh, you know, kids are always wise. It's funny. People don't realize that young people are, they're such sponges. They are such sponges. You know, you have well, to even like, watch what you say. Yeah. It's like the little child prodigy golfers that tell you they played Tiger Woods golf. For sure. You know, and it's like, it taught them how to read putts. And like, and it does, it teaches you how to read and you right. watch it. And it's like the slopes, the arrows and all this stuff. You're like, that is exactly what reading a putt is. Right. And so you're you know. just learning it in video game form. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, I wonder how much that, like, it really does help people be better at their sport is like just being exposed to the information that is game-like, like we've been talking about the whole time. Yeah. And to, 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 to talk about child prodigies, when Charlie Woods goes out there last year and swings like almost spinning image like Tiger. Like Tiger couldn't teach Charlie to, to, to swing identically like him. He couldn't like verbally teach him. What Charlie's done is just watch like the greatest player on the planet, like strike ball after ball. Because Tiger, I think, said at that time, he's like, he really hasn't started playing until COVID happened. Like he would play yeah. a little bit, but like in COVID, we couldn't go anywhere. And so they've got a, you know, they've got a miniature course in their backyard. And he just went out there and, you know, I would practice and he would be out there and hit yep. balls. And it's like, it's funny what kids pick up because I don't care what Tiger could not teach Charlie. Now he is the genetic copy of him, but like he couldn't teach Charlie, like Charlie's rhythm of his swing and timing of his swing and, you know, the things that it looks like, but it's like the internal things that are going on. It's like, you can't teach him that. He's no, just he's mimicking. that. Yeah, yeah. He's just watch that, mimicking that. And it's like guys that watch a lot of games, you know, they probably grew up mimicking a ton of different hitters. So they've got this movement library that's like greater than people who don't, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, when I grew up, I was a huge baseball fan, right? Like, I, it's not like I was watching softball on TV. I was right. watching baseball, right? No, no, no And doubt. like, I, you know, we'd sit there and in my living room, like mimic all the batting stances and yep. the swings and stuff. And like, you know, and I, I always wanted to be like, like I, I always wanted my swing to look like Ken Griffey Jr.'s, right? No, you and but everybody else that are our yeah. age. Me too. I hit more balls with a backwards hat than I have ever hit with a helmet on. So like you, you start to like, mimicking your favorite players and then you figure out that like you're you're just finding your own swing in the process right but like for I I would have never known that I could cross that off my list if I hadn't done it right and like I was a terrible terrible youth baseball player like hitter wise I was good I was always good on defense I had a good arm fine I was a good athlete but I couldn't hit and I think it was just because I was always trying to like I, I was never finding my own swing. I was just sitting there like, you know, right. trying to mimic my favorite players because that's what they did and, you know, getting domed up by coach after coach. And then when I finally started playing softball, I found good coaches that just kind of like let me explore and find my own swing, you know? Yeah. 
And I think it's, the time that you spent copying the people, though you didn't hit in the game, was valuable. Totally. Totally. You know, it was valuable. You know, it's, it goes back to the original point of like patience. You, know, you were trying all these different things. And, and that's a point that we've tried to do in our training sessions is like, how do you know you shouldn't hit with your hands down here? You know, how do you know you should put your hands right here as yep. a young person? So like giving them opportunities to search and, you know, start with your feet together, Babe Ruth style. Like you're, no one's ever going to let you do that, but you should do that here. Like do yeah. all these things, you know, hit with high hands like Bellinger with the barrel behind you. Yep. Try all these things. You never know. Yep. I promise it's not hurting. You may swing and miss right now, but it's not hurting. Right. You know, because building this movement library is, I don't know much about the best players in the world, but I know that their movement capacity is just off the charts. I mean, well, it's, it's true. So I mean, like, off the charts. it's true. And I don't, I don't I mean, I don't really like to talk about this a ton, but like, if you're going down the softball, I was one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Right. Like I was one of the best players. And I can tell you that like, the swing at the beginning of my college career up until probably like my, I would say my second year of pro ball was pretty similar. And then it started to change because I got bigger and I started to move differently. And, you know, like, and then my last year of pro ball, I slimmed down a little bit and I moved a little bit better. And I kind of went back down into what I was doing in college, but it, there was like a, a, an exploration process that like, like, look at, like, Albert Pujols. Like, look how spread out he was at the yep. beginning of his career. And then now <laughs> he's more upright and takes a stride. And he kind of picks right? his foot up, yeah. And it, Yeah, and so, like, that's a, that's a big change for a hitter to make, right? It's yep. a big change. And so, but like you said, their movement library is so vast because they've practiced so much in so many different ways that they have the ability to – do that and still put a barrel on a ball and still have the awareness of where their barrel is. And like, you know, that's, it is, it's pretty impressive how people can do that. You know, like I'll go, I went and played. So I, I, my last year of pro ball was 2012 and um, I've been playing like summer fast pitch up here in Indiana ever since we have like a fast pitch women's league here. And it's kind of cool. Like you're allowed to have like five college players on every team that are still in college. And so college girls come and play and they're good. And you're allowed to have like a couple high school players on your team. If you want to, it's just 16 and up. And then everyone else has to be like a certified old lady like me, right? Like where I don't play anymore. And so I I would just like mess around in the league. Like if we had like a, you know, a slower pitcher, someone I had time to like mess around with, like I would like fiddle with my swing and it's it. I mean, I, again, like I was good. So I was a very, very elite athlete that found a barrel a lot. I was a high contact, no. high power hitter. And so I can, I can do that. But then like watching other girls, they, ha- they can't like, they just have to like stick to their no. process and what works for them. And that's fine. But it's like, you know, I wish that sometimes, you know, these, these 24 year old women or whatever, however old they are, that I could have gone back and trained them and yeah. taught them to like explore more. Cause they probably yeah. would have been pretty good. You know, yeah. like their hand, their hand eyes pretty good. They're decently yeah. athletic. Like I wish like my, one of my best friends, her name's Chloe. Like I, I wish I could have trained Chloe longer because 
like she's she'll come in the cage and uh she'll like just come on a random wednesday night and be like hey can we like turn the pitching machine on turn the music up real loud and just hit yeah i'm like yeah let's do it so we do it you know and we just like kind of like hang out and stuff and i'm like dude she's like not bad like i really yeah. wish i could have trained her longer but like she didn't i mean she played for two years in high school and then just quit and that was it and so it's like she probably could have been like a d3 naia college player like yeah you know, we just train her well, but you know, it's just, no one ever gave her the freedom to figure out like, Hey, this works for me. It was always like cues, like, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that, A, B, C, D, E. And then it's too rigid. Like you can't, you can't go A to B to C to D to E because like, you have to like put, like, like you said, like I'm put the, the boundaries on A and boundary on Z. And then let them explore how to get from yep. A to Z. Give them the freedom to, know, to do it. Right. You have to know, like, so the school that I'm working with, which I haven't talked about, I, I may talk, I'll let them talk about it before I do. But it's like, I, I had this perception, this softball perception of what I was going to go up there and see. And then when I like dug into their data, let's just take a, a, a skill like contact point. Like I was looking for days in their hit tracks where they hit some velo. And I wanted to look at like their scatter plot of their contact points. And it was amazing. This is one of the better college football teams currently in the country. And it was amazing how clustered up their contact points were. If you gave them multiple tries, like if you gave them three or four tries at that speed, they could pretty much time the ball up right there every time. And I told the coach, I'm like, you know, this is not really timing. Like this is no timing challenge after about the fifth pitch. And so moving them around, you know, giving them more time by moving them back every couple of swings, moving them up, just taking time away, adding time. That's what you're going to have to do because we get into the, the, the design of scaling up and scaling down practices. You get better. You, machine work can be counterproductive because just like these girls, it's like once you stand there for five balls, you're not timing the ball anymore. Yeah, you're just repeating right. time. And it's yes. like – you're not developing the ability to be a little early and hit, be a little late and hit, like trying to figure out how to buy time on an off-speed pitch in right. practice. You know, it's like all these problems that arise as you get better that just you don't account for. You know, you said timing was such a big thing earlier, and I was going to make that point, but we got ta- we got talking again. It's like, how do you – it was one of those things, you know, I don't know if you saw me post on Twitter. It was one of those things that, like, I don't know much, but I know the brain doesn't learn in a vacuum. And so yes. when I throw BP, like I'll move up to the screen, I'll put 30 feet behind me and I'll move up to the screen and I'll take two steps back and I'll go back and throw a pitch and then I'll come back up. And when you're using the machine, people are like, oh, you got a new machine. It's like, yes, but like after a certain point, it can be counterproductive too, because that doesn't represent the game. Like that doesn't right. represent the game at all. Like that's not what right. the game is. Like yeah, like I, yeah. If you're if you're going just machine and you're you're only doing that, I, a lot of times it's like again, like as if you're you have to have a clear task and your task can't yeah. just be hit the machine. Like that's yeah. that's not a realist. Like if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm playing target practice with the machine. Like every ball that comes out, I'm trying to hit the top corner of the cage. Yeah, and like boom. Okay, cool. Like now you're actually like using that in the right way or if you have a hitter that just flat out cannot catch up to a high velo pitch, 
and you just have to flat out expose them to it over and over again, just to give them the confidence of like, Oh, I can get there. Yeah. That's, that's, there's value in that, but you're right. Like just pumping machines just to say we use machines. Like that's not, you know, it's probably either. Yeah. It's not. And, and like, it's faster than your BP pitch probably. And it's faster than your front toss pitch for sure. But it's still not like, accomplishing you're not challenging their timing and like it still doesn't meet the underlying demands of the game correct like you gotta you gotta like train like if if your target task here is squaring up a ball and being perfectly on time my circle of training has to be here and then we're gonna teach you all of these things that go (laughs) into allowing you to find this as often as possible and and you're you're not just but like a lot of people only want to train this like be yeah. on time with the perfect swing. And it's like, how often do you think you really do that in a game? Nope. You know, like the hitters that do it, you'll know when they do it, they'll pimp their home run right away. As soon yep. as they'll know, they'll know, like as soon as their leg goes up or as soon as they make their forward move, you know, like I know I was that hitter, right? I know like as soon as I would make my forward move and I got the pitch that I was looking for, I knew it was freaking game over. Like before I even made contact with the ball, I knew I was going to hit it a mile. And you're just like, yeah. okay, you hit it, and you just, you know, put the bat down, flip the bat, whatever you do, and go. But very rarely were you that locked in where it just felt like the perfect swing at the perfect time on the perfect pitch. Right. And so we want that, but everybody only wants to train here, and you have to train here to hone your skills to be able to get this more often. Right. That just goes to the underlying principles approach. It's like all these things work. If you have bat speed, they have, they work. If you're on time, they work. If you, you know, swing decisions are, it's better to swing at balls in the zone, obviously. No doubt. Like the closer you can swing to the middle of the zone, the better it's going to be. Yes, for sure. For sure. But, but like the wider that is, the better you're going to be. And then you just have to stick to those principles, you know, and it's going to look a lot of different ways. It's going to require a lot of different tools. It's going to require, heavy bats it's going to require long bats it's going to require short bats it's going to require light bats it's just gonna you're just gonna to have to couple all these task challenges to get to the point of hitting the ball hard on time yep in an environment where you don't know what's going to happen like you just right. don't you know because yep. you don't want to be ultimately you don't want to be well they hit well in practice i don't know why they don't hit in the game it's like well you know maybe your practice should match the demands of the game closer yeah Yeah. i i don't know about you but i can tell you that phrase doesn't get uttered in my cage anymore it doesn't because we we challenge them in practice right so they don't they don't leave going damn i hit the crap out some days they do some days they win they beat the challenge and they hit just like in a game sometimes you go four for four like freaking awesome but most of the time it's like okay, I was challenged today. That was difficult, but like I did pretty well. Like, cool. Like they feel like they got better, not necessarily like they succeeded, if that makes sense. So it's a process of, I know I got better versus I hit a lot of balls hard today. So my result was good, you know? And and that's that's the application of technology too. You can, people, I mean, I still think we struggle about applying technology correctly. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. It's just the things that we know that you wouldn't otherwise know. 
You know, one of the dads over in one of the facilities I train in in East Tennessee said, we want to train like we want to do your training when you're not here. I'm like, that's fine. That's kind of the overall goal. What are you going to measure it with? He's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, what I do, the value of what I do is give, I can give you a snapshot of improvement over time that no one else can give you. Like not, not a lot of this stuff makes sense if you don't, if you don't show progress over time in these main categories. You know, it's not about, I get that still on the internet. It's like, you're just a peak exit velocity guy. It's like, how are you still saying that about me? Have you not paid attention at all? I do value peak exit velocity. But we try to pair a couple of these things with so many different, like, things. And then we use technology to, like, justify over time. Did it work? Did it not? And obviously, your in-game results tell that story, too. For sure. And that's the thing, like... (laughs) it's all in how you present the material. Like every, it's like every girl, every drill is a good drill and every drill is a bad drill. Every piece of technology can be used, but it can also be used to your detriment as well. Right. Because if all you're doing is chasing peak exit velocity and you're taking those like wild out of control swings, (laughs) like you are now becoming the cage showcase player. You're not becoming the player who can hit in a game. Right. And at some point, that is going to be exposed. Now, for some people, it's not exposed until they sign a professional contract and then they got to go play in some games and you're like, whoa, like this kid swings and misses a lot. Yeah. Or their freshman year of college or wherever they end up. But like, it so you can't, up. right. And so you can sit there and say, yeah, my kid can hit a ball 105. And you're like, damn, that's, that's pretty damn good. But how often are they actually hitting it 105? You got to value other stuff too, right? Yeah. So like, you you can use technology for good and for bad. And, and you see it a lot. Like most of the time, technology just becomes a marketing tool for people to sell more yeah. lessons or sell more. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's like, I have the tech and now I use it as a marketing tool instead of using it to get kids better. Yeah. If, if you're, if your peak exit velocity increases over time, did you learn to swing the bat faster? Probably. Right. Probably. If your if my average exit velocity goes up over time, did I get more consistent at squaring up balls? Yes, definitely. So that yeah, peak exit velocity is that's just your ceiling going up, right? That's your ceiling going up. And now to to produce speed. Correct. It's that's it. And now it's okay. Well, I got to raise the floor, and the closer those two are together, the better I got. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you, you have to use them adequately, you know. And and a lot of times too, like. I don't think we need to use tech every day, you know, like, and that's, that's where, like, I think a lot of people, they rely on it is it's like, yeah. I want the the student in my cage to see that they hit the ball really well today so that they can, they'll come back. Right. They know they got right. better and they'll come back, but it's like, maybe we turn it off every once in a while, right. focus on the process a little bit and then turn it yeah. back on and say, Hey, let's measure it and see if you got any better. Right. And, and I don't disagree with that. Like some of the tech, we, we use sparingly twice a month, but a, but a thing like the hit tracks, you know, we turn it on just so we can be like hitting outside, you know, you yes. don't get yes. the same information that you do as you get outside, but it's like, I like just having the ball flight so they know what the ball is doing off their yeah. bat. Like that's all I don't, we don't, we certainly don't talk about it. Right. You know, we, we certainly don't break it down, you know, we just turn it no, on. I, I know. It, I laugh. I laughed because I got, you know, like 
I, I just anytime you're progressive, you get roasted, right? Like all the time yeah. by go- goons on the internet and stuff. And it's like people in the area will be like, well, uh, Rachel's just over there teaching those launch angle swings. For okay? sure. So I, I got a kid come into my cage and she said that. And I asked her, I was like, do you even know what a launch angle is? She's been coming to me for like five, six years. Yeah. And she goes, I no. And I go, well, it's a good thing we really talk about them launch angles. Right. Then, huh? Like, we don't I even talk about it. Day. Yeah. I think like, I we said on Twitter we, one day, I invite anybody on Twitter to come into my building. If the word launch angle is said, I will give you a million dollars. You can like, come we for two really, weeks, you can come for two months, you can come for six months, you can come for a year, every day. If it's said, I'll give you a million dollars. Yeah, we just don't talk about it. Like, it's. I don't need to, if especially, and I, I'm a, I'm a person that when I give lessons in the cage, I do turn the hit tracks on every day. Right. Yeah. Like, um, but we'll, we look at it and it's like, you can just look at where the ball landed and it'll tell you if it's a good result. Yep. Like you can just look at where it landed on the field and I don't need to sit there and go, Oh, well, you know, it was only 20 degrees. I really need you right. to raise that to 25 degrees. Like, no, right. that's not, we don't do that. That's like, right. so like, it's dumb. Right. You know, no, I'm it's, with you. it's dumb. And what you get too with young people, and this is true, I'll speak of my daughters. My daughter never throws a pitch in this building without the radar gun on because I don't care how hard it is. I just want to know she's trying. Exactly. I just want to know she's putting effort into it. Like if I know you can throw the ball 45 and that radar gun says 35, I know you're not trying. Exactly. And so it's just an effort management thing too for me. People are are really afraid of feedback though. And it's like, Okay, so then why do you have a catcher? Why do you have a catcher catching your daughter throwing pitching lessons? If you right. like their their measure that's a measurement of did I throw the ball to my target or not? And if you yeah. don't care, then then just have her throw into a wall or have her throw into a net. A net. And there's yeah, there's there's value to that too. But like for sure. We're afraid of like putting a radar gun on a kid, but we'll put a catcher back there to give her feedback of the strike zone. And it's right. like both of those can be important at the same time. Yeah. It's for okay. Sure. Yeah. Like so that's, that's, and that goes back to like our power and accuracy thing too, right? Yep. It's like, you know, that's, that's the, the caveat against pitchers is like, yeah, okay, great. They can all throw 95, but can they throw strikes? And it's like, there's a lot of data that's supporting the fact that like, yes, actually you can, you can do both yep. and you can train you can both at both. the same time. So, you know, it's, it's, and we saw that, I saw that in rookie ball. Like we have, you know, guys on our, on our rookie ball roster that throw like 94 to 98. And watching them at the beginning of the season struggle with command big time. Right. Yeah. And then watching that command get better just because they played more. Right. Yeah. And they threw more games and, and it's like watching that happen and watching a guy dot a 93 mile per hour cutter is like, dude, like that dude got better. Whereas yeah. before, like he was afraid to throw his cutter because he couldn't throw for a strike. For sure. So, no you know, it's like watching them do that is like, wow, that's, that is, that's what we call development. And it, it's yeah. fun to oh. watch. And it, and it's really, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, like I missed out a lot on, like I got to watch 60 baseball games from the top step of the dugout this year. Yeah. 60 baseball games that I would have never gotten to watch anywhere else right like with that with that point of view going through the grind with my guys like I and I got to watch 60 games like that and it was just like (laughs) wow I missed out on so much of how the game is played and you really realize that like we meant like 
I, I did that for a long time. And I think I've kind of gotten out of that in the last year or two, but like, I, I did that for so long was just like, hit the ball harder, hit the ball harder, hit the ball harder, yep. hit the ball harder, hit the ball harder. And then you're like, okay, but like, I need you to be successful in a game too. So varying the training so that they can mimic a game yep. environment and put their hard hit balls and, and have them do that more often against a game like pitcher. I, and, and that was where like, I, I've, I've kind of transitioned to that over the last two years in the cage, but going to watch it in a game, you really see the value in that. And like, yep. if there's any like cage coach, facility coach, lesson coach watching, like, go out and watch your kids play more. And I know it's hard to do because we yep. coach at the same time they're playing, right? Yep. We're in a cage when they're out playing games, but do it as often as you can and watch the, the anxiety that's put on them by the freaking third base coach, because they're throwing out cue salad every time. Yep. Watch the anxiety of, I just hit third one game and now I'm hitting seventh because I went over three because that's baseball or that's softball. It's like, Watch all that stuff take place and you'll get a greater understanding of what it takes, how, how your training environment should mimic that. Yeah. And, you know, like this year, like I, I'm, I have transitioned and I just told, you know, my, my, cause I've done one-on-ones for years. I've, that's yeah. just, I, I like it cause I like to build the relationship, but after a year in pro ball, you realize you're like, okay, so hold on. So we pay these guys millions of dollars to, to hopefully make them big league players. Right. Yeah, or and our training environment. Well, right, right. But we're we we put them in a basically a four on one training environment, right? Like four guys to a cage for forty yep. minutes, and they get their their routine work and their and their you know hopefully some variability training if you if we're if that's something that your organization values. And so I'm like, okay, so if we're paying these guys millions of dollars to try to develop them, so they hopefully make us money on the back end somehow, we yep. get through a trade or by making the big league, is like, if one-on-one was the best way, we would be, we would hire 23 coaches for 23 players, and that's how we would coach them. But we don't. We train them. It's a group training environment, yep. and it's competitive. And, you know, so I'm sitting here, and I'm like, okay, one-on-ones are I think I do a one-on-one about as good as anybody, but I still think I'm missing stuff. Right. So right. it's like, so we're transitioning to full groups this year. Right. And, and I and think I you think, made this point earlier of the comparison piece and dealing with the comparison piece in practice too. It's like, if you're here by yourself, it's like, you know, she, there's no, he or she hit it 200. And I'm only hitting 175. Exactly. Right. Or the you other way around. Like, that. Or yeah. the other way around, like, I didn't think I was doing really well, but compared to these other girls, like, damn, yeah. I'm hitting the crap out of the ball, right? So, like, there's there's so much value to that. And then it's, like, it takes you as the coach. Like, we we so often think we're the center of the kids' universe, and we're not. So just take no. yourself out of that. We're just a piece. We're just a facilitator at the end of the day. We just make suggestions, and then, you know, they hopefully start to own their process. But, like, it takes the coach out of the center of the universe and it says, Hey, listen, like there's three other people right here that can help you. And they're going to help you get through it too. You know, like that's the best part about group training is like watching the guys like off to the side, be like, Hey, you know, that ball's spinning weird today. You know, like make sure that you, you know, watch the ball. It's, it's, it's kind of cutting a little. Okay, cool. And then they like, that's not something I see, but they saw it because they had to go in there and do it. And now they're talking to each other. And then it's like your help. It's it, that, that is what happens in a game. 
I just went up, faced a pitcher. I struck out. I came out and now I'm talking to the guy on deck about what the guy's got, you know, and, or I'm talking in the dugout to the guys after I get in from scoring a run about, you know, how I beat this guy. Yeah. That's, that is the game. So like, let's create that environment. And then, but it's also a no fail environment where it's like, Hey, you know, obviously there's failure in the drills, but it's not, we're not losing a game. We're not right. moving you down in the order. It's very, it's, it's safe. It's a safe place to explore. So like I'm, and I'm doing that and I'm really excited about it. I'll start that full time next week. Cause I just got back up in Indiana, but like, I'm, I'm so excited about it. And I know there's, there's been some pushback from parents that are like, well, sure. you know, I, well, I want my one-on-ones with the kid. And that's right. like, okay. Like I understand that. I, I'm going to be missing out on a lot too, because I like this connection piece that I get from it. However, if you're, if the goal here is to be a better baseball or better softball player, this, I believe this is how it's going to be. It, we're going to get there much quicker and much more effectively if we do it this way. So I'm like fired up about it and it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. I've said that about my own children. Like these two human beings mean more to me than anybody could ever mean to me. This is how we're going to train them. I want them to train with the best players that we can find to train with them because, again, it goes to if you want to bench 400 pounds, hang out with guys that bench 400 pounds. You yep. throw the ball 90 miles an hour, hang out with people that throw 90 miles an hour. Yep. If you want to hit better, hang out with people that hit better. You know, yep. there's a reluctance, too, from parents because they wrap their own self-worth up into the performance of their child. Of If they're not the best in the group, then we don't want any part of that. You know, yeah, the people that I stay with here, you know, I come and I stay with two of my best friends and um, they're a couple and they've got two kids and both of their kids are small. Like they're just for the, the, the son plays hockey and the daughter plays softball and they're small. Like they're, they just haven't hit their growth spurt as quickly as other people. So their daughter is, she's, uh, she's 12 now. She's playing like 13 U. Okay. Yeah which in softball is 14 you, right? So yeah. um, she's, if she's not the youngest on the team, she's one of the youngest on the team and she's small and like, she's not like, she's not going to go. She has never hit a ball over the fence yet. Right. So she's like, she just goes in there and she makes contact. She'll lay down a really good bunt for you. She plays really good defense, runs the bases. And like, she's the exact player that like, if a parent was not patient with, they would have assumed that, well, she sucks or she's not getting any better, or they would have taken her from team to team to find the coach that can get the most out of her. Right. And then she probably would have quit by now because she wasn't, yeah, yeah, she just would have quit. But they're like, I love these, you know, their names are Mike and Amy. I love Mike and Amy because they're so patient with their kids. They just, they just want their kids to, to enjoy going to practice every day. They yep. want their kids to enjoy the process of playing. And there's no pressure of like, you need to play in college or no. you need to play pro. It's just like they enjoy their fans of watching their kids play. And they yep, actually sure. take the time to like work with them and, and, and go into the, the basement with them. And I, you watch them train and it's very like, it's patient and it's like, yep. okay, like that's fine. And I, I've told them all along because I knew Emma, their daughter was, she's, she's small, she's little. And I'm like, she is going to be the kid that is never going to be your lights out player until she gets to high school and she hits that last growth spurt. And when she gets stronger, she is going to flourish. Like she's going to take off. 
And they're like, okay. And you can, so now she just hit a growth spurt and now all of a sudden she's starting to hit more doubles and yep. more balls to the outfield. And she's being asked to bunt less because yep. but she makes a crap ton of contact contact and she swings back pretty hard. So like as she gets older and stronger, it's starting to, to pay off. And so now you start to see it. And now it's like, it's like the organizational guy. That's like the grinder, right? That he just, yep. he plays defense really well. He, he works his tail off. He makes a lot of contact. He puts together a professional at bat and he hangs around, hangs around, hangs around. Yep. Maybe something clicks for him. And all of a sudden he's in the big leagues. Right. Played and it's the guy like, on a ball played with the guy on a ball. Chris Jimenez, yeah. Chris Jimenez played for the Dodge. I think he works for the Dodgers now. He was that guy at a ball like what great, but it's like, he hung around kind of utility player, likable catching hit well enough. 10 years in the big leagues. It's like, good, yep. good for you, man. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. And that's and kind I, of what everybody owes themselves. It's just like the opportunity to be as good as you can be with no pressure. It. It's no reflection of you as a person. It's just, just enjoy the time and try to learn some lessons along the way. And, you know, you'll be better for it. Yep. I think that was maybe all the baseball or so. I mean, we could talk about softball all day. I know we could do this all day. Right. Uh, what about? <laughs> You had some time on the road this year. Any Netflix shows out there? Uh, let's see. What did I watch? I watched Squid Game. That was really good. I haven't done Squid Game. Yeah, you need to do it. It's like it's scary. Uh, it's. I mean, not really. It's like the Hunger Games. You like okay. the Hunger Games? Yeah. It's Hunger Games, but like, it's it's if you can believe it, it's more ruthless than the Hunger Games. Because it's like, okay. instead of them competing with each other, which does happen, they do have to compete with each other, but they also have to compete against like the people running the game. Yeah. So like you could get killed by the people running the game and the people in the game. So it's like, it's, it's nuts. It's more ruthless, but um, I liked, I enjoyed that one. Um, I'm not a big TV watcher. Like I'm really not. I like, I like sports. I like to watch live TV yeah. and I like to watch sports. Um so I, I haven't really I get sucked into this time of year. And I can't believe that I'm admitting this publicly, but Hallmark Christmas movies suck me in. I'm like, I don't, it's like an hour and a half has gone by. And I'm like, I really like this. I don't know why. I think yeah. I, I like movies and I like shows that have good scenery. Like I try to watch the shows that our guys like are into. So yeah. I'll talk to them about it. Yep. One kid is freaking, he was into the show Outer Banks. Yep. Like I I watched like one episode, dude, I hated it. He's like, no, watch it. So I made my way through both seasons. It's like, I don't know that I like the show, but I like the scenery of the show. I like the ocean, like the beach. I'm into this. I think the same thing is true of Hallmark Christmas movies. I like snow. I like all this stuff. It's like, this is cool. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're made for the masses. So like, it's okay if we, we get sucked into them. Like that's what they're made for. Yeah. My wife is like, I can't believe you watch this stuff. I'm like, I can't either. You know what I really like? I get, I get made fun of a lot for this by my girlfriend. So I'm 34. She's 29. And like, I love, love singing shows. Like I love American Idol. I love watching like America's Got Talent. That's again, like I like live yeah. TV, like I like the live TV yeah. experience. And so, um, like that's, that's where, 
Yeah, I, I love it. Like you give me American Idol, man, I get sucked into the stories and I get yeah. sucked into all of that. And I guess that's like such yeah. a boomer thing of me from what I've been told. So <laughs> yeah, that's me fine. too. I'm, I'm, I didn't watch American Idol anymore, but 2000, 2001, 2003, five, I was in American Idol. Hell yeah. Like everybody in the country was. Yeah, absolutely. But what about um, energy drinks? Anything caught you up lately other than coffee? Nope. No, just coffee. Coffee. Black coffee, hopefully. Uh, no, I like a little cream, maybe okay. a little oat milk in there sometimes. Okay. Um, I like the way oat milk tastes, so I'm not, you know, like crazy about like the whole like turning plants into milk thing, but like, yeah, um, I like the way it tastes. Um, but yeah, I like a little half and half. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big energy drink. I like Coke Zero. I like Coke Zero. So you like get me through, up. you get me to like two o'clock and I'm about ready to head out to go give some lessons or to, to go out to the field or something. And I like a Coke zero, um, Coke yeah. zero got me through those 6 PM start time games in Arizona. You know, when you're yeah. just like our day started at one o'clock, I was out throwing BP in like peak yeah. heat. And then yeah. I'm exhausted by the time game time starts and drink a Coke zero in the middle of the game. And it got me through a lot of those games. So how's your BP throwing better? Excellent. No, I've, 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 I've always been a good BP thrower. Okay. I've, I'm a catcher, man. I got that repeatable arm, right. you know? Right. I remember um, during COVID though, you were doing some pull downs and trying to get yep. your ELO up and all that stuff. So that was cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I was doing it to keep my arm, to keep it healthy, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so like, just to, just to make sure that my, my arm was in shape to, to handle a whole season. And I, I'm, I'm really happy I did that. I was very proactive about it. Yeah. And uh, like, and it was fun too, you know, just to train that way. But like, um yeah like I can I can throw curveballs change-ups sliders whatever you need so and, and the guys I throw a lot of mixed BP um, yep. especially during like early work and cage time and the guys really enjoy that so yep. um I again it's just another piece that we can give them that's game-like you know but for sure yeah no with you 100% all right yep. I'll let you go get to your day okay. <laughs> appreciate it as always we'll try to maybe catch up again uh, I would like to come to the ABCA. Are you near Chicago still? Yeah, I, ABCA is in Chicago. It's in January, though, right? Yeah. Where are you Do you know that I think I have a Mexico trip when you guys are at ABCA? Because I, had I won't, I won't the miss idea it. Of bringing I won't my daughter. miss you. Yeah, bringing uh, my daughter to the ABCA and just turning her loose with you. I would that love that. Awesome. Well, if let's well let's see if we can coordinate it because it might be maybe at the beginning or the end of the trip or yeah. something like that. I may like drive up that way and go see Kyle Harris and just hang out in his cage and then drive up there and hang out at your cage and love take it. my kids and just hit homers. Cool. Let's do it. All right. I'll see you. I'll talk to you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All we'll right. be in touch. Good to talk All to right. you, Chad. All right. See you.